Blog Talk Radio. Okay, and good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to uh, Everyday People on the We Are Everyday People Global Internet Radio Network. It is Wednesday, June 8th, 2016. And first, I want to thank uh, my last show, uh, my, la- my last guest on my last show, which was actually uh, May 19th. I want to thank Brother Oscar Martis, who's a South Shore High School class of 1976. Uh, we talked about... Uh, Oscar's uh, coming up and uh, what he's doing currently. And we also talked about mainly the 1976 uh, 40-year reunion that's coming up. 
And uh, if you want to get information on that, if you're all on Facebook with this show, we're generated from Facebook. So a lot of what uh, our communication uh, comes from is Facebook. But just contact Brother Oscar Martis, Oscar, M-A-R-D-I-S, and uh, any information that you might need, you can get it uh, starting uh, with him. Or you can also get back with me and I'll, uh, you know, get you the right spot. So thank you, Brother Oscar. A great interview, man. I, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Uh, today, we're going to pick up where we left off uh, on a show we have done previously. Uh, a brother guest who, who's here today, uh, you know, kind of ran out of time on the last interview. So uh, he said he'd come back on again, and here he is. I want to bring on a brother who is a professional trainer. And I always say uh, South Shore High School had a football Hall of Fame. This brother will be on the first ballot. I want to bring up uh, brother Kevin Farmer. Kevin, thanks for coming back on, man. I appreciate it. It's good to hear from you again, and and as usual, it's an honor to to be on your show. Man, um, it's today, uh, I, go right ahead. I you got it. To, yeah, I wanted to talk about a couple of things uh, today, um, and as usual, I want to start off with uh, a fitness conversation. Um, recently, the University of Chicago concluded a study, um, and the study was. Um, essentially about the uh, health of health on the south side of Chicago. And uh, ironically, the study was titled, uh, South Side of Chicago is Literally Sick. Um, And uh, their findings kind of uh, uh, show that um, there are some serious health issues uh, in Chicago in general and on the south side in particular. Um, It was a random study of around 300 people just picked from uh, the 34 neighborhoods that, that comprise the South Side. And uh, they did some random tests, uh, some question and answering sessions, just to try to gauge the health of, of the fitness level and the health level of uh, random people on the South Side of Chicago, 100% of them were uh, African Americans. And um, some of the, the findings were, uh, well, I, I should say not so surprising. Um, a little distressing, but but totally fixable findings. Uh, you know, just a, a cursory look at some of the things that they found out from the study group that 47% of the participants had high blood pressure. Um, 53% of those same participants had diabetes. Uh, 54% of them were considered obese, and 23% of them were overweight. And finally, an interesting number is 47% of them were food insecure. Uh, and, and translated, that means that uh, on a monthly basis, they were pretty insecure about eating for for the entire month. And it was always a monthly issue about uh, how to eat and make sure that their families were well fed. Um, those numbers, um, in my humble opinion, are alarming, at, at least half the uh, study participants, and it was a pretty good sampling from every uh, area on the south side, um, suffer from some extremely preventable diseases that are tied to fitness and nutrition. Um, And um, one of the uh, findings also indicated that a lack of knowledge of the study participants was a uh, big issue in them moving forward and rectifying uh, whatever health issues they had. Essentially, these study participants waited till they were sick 
and and went to the emergency room. Um, there was no uh, preventable treatments, nothing uh, before getting sick that would, would prevent them from uh, uh, continuing on an ill health path. Um, and it's alarming, um, and it's it's sad, but as I indicated earlier, it's very preventable. In that vein, I, I want to segue into not just the problem, but the possible solutions of, of the problem. Um, myself and my partner, a young lady named Lauren Providence, um, recently put together a, an obesity project grant uh, to assist Southside residents. The grant is pending, uh, but it looks good, and we've all already got some tentative uh, agreements with uh, people who live in CHA housing um, to come by and give seminars and, and programs and offer fitness tips and nutrition tips and, and even cooking tips uh, to CHA residents. If the grant is uh, comes to fruition, we'll be able to expand that to the entire African-American community in Chicago. Uh, we're going to know about that real soon. I've got my fingers crossed about that because it's going to be able to give us a platform and an opportunity to uh, at, at least at least communicate the proper information to the people in Chicago who need it most. Um, uh, another one of the findings uh, of the University of Chicago study was that, that simply that, that uh, 90% of these people simply don't know how to eat well and to maintain their bodies and, and, and to live a holistic life uh, and, and how to get fit. It's, it's a lack of knowledge and lack of information. And, and, and in 2016, that, that's not a good situation because the truth be told, uh, that information is readily available uh, from a lot of sources. Uh, our people just don't have the wherewithal right now to access that information for whatever reasons it is. We're not getting the information um, to the community. It's a lot of misinformation out there, um, a lot of uh, family traditions um, in nutrition and, and how to uh, uh, live that uh, are counterproductive to a, um, I, I won't say a long life, but to a productive life. You know, these things are going to make you live to 100 it's about the quality of life and, and, right. and how you can improve your quality of life as you age. I, I think I talked about it briefly um, in, in our last conversation about if you just do a visual check at the south side, there are people in their 40s and their 50s that are walking around with canes and and walkers and need assistance to do that. And, and you know, in my opinion, they're just far too young to be at that point in their lives. And a lot of it is tied to, you know, how they live lifestyle choices, uh, uh, health care, or lack of health care, and, and the ability to, to heal yourself. Uh, it's an issue in our community, and, and my partner, Lauren, and I, uh, if this grant comes through, we're, we're going to make it our mission to spread the word about, um, you know, not condemning people, uh, not criticizing people, but to try to show them how to solve the issues. Everybody talks about problems we're about solutions to problems mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um, and this will allow us to uh, a platform to take this to a widespread audience and and i appreciate you having me on to, to be able to talk to whoever's listening to us to to think about this you know whatever your situation is whatever you do if your health and fitness isn't in place it's going to stop 
you're not going to be able to work. You're not going to be able to enjoy the hobbies like you used to. People always tell me that, uh, well, I don't have the time to do it, and, and, and I've got kids, and i got to work, and I have to hmm. do that. But um, truth be told, if your health breaks down, you're not going to be able to enjoy any of those things. Um, it's an investment in yourself. And a relatively small investment, there's 164 hours in a week. Now, if you take four or five hours out of that 164 hours and take care of yourself, um, you'll improve the quality of your life. Um, I am a personal attachment to that. Um, I was in bad shape. I've told a story before, diabetic coma in, in 2001 that, that woke me up. Um, and started my uh, fitness journey. And pretty much since then, um, I've been uh, taking care of myself, and I like to call myself a reformed diabetic. I'm one of those rare people that was type 2 diabetic. I am no longer a type 2 diabetic. And this is brain surgery. My brother, uh, I essentially adopted a fitness lifestyle and started controlling my blood sugar and uh continued consistently with it to the point where uh, the doctor said, you're wasting your money with diabetes medication. Your blood sugar is always normal now. Um, and they took me off the medication. So um, I want to take some of my personal experiences and, and some of the knowledge I've gained as a trainer over the years and, and give it to our community. Um, it's a worthwhile thing, uh, particularly in the younger portion of our community, um, where when the eyes are wide open and you get them young and make it a lifelong thing. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was part of a program in the welfare system called Lifetime Fitness Program as Ward of the State were being emancipated. Uh, it was my job uh, when they reached 18 uh, and they were preparing to get out into the real world to teach them about fitness and nutrition and training and um a couple of years after the fact, we've had some, some relatively good results. You know, I still see some of the kids from time to time. They appreciate and, and use some of the information that we were able to get across to them uh, in the program. But, um, again, we want to try to expand that to include uh, seniors, uh, active young adults, and, and in my opinion, more importantly, the, the mothers, the, the head of the households, the ones that uh, – provide daily nutrition for kids. Um, it's uh, an issue that um, the average African-American mother uh, doesn't have the wherewithal to put together consistent uh, nutritious meals for their children. They simply don't have knowledge. Um, our legacy uh, of eating is uh, impactful on our health. Uh, yeah. I, get a, I get a lot of flack from people uh, about uh criticizing how uh, traditionally African-Americans eat. Um, and some people act as if it's an affront on, on, our, on our legacy. And it's not. The facts are clear. Uh, the data is in um, how the majority of African-Americans eat is detrimental to their health. Um, and I'm sure it tastes good, it's great, and it's good, uh, but it simply won't uh, – won't, uh, help you live a longer and a happier life. I've got a little story about that. I generally try to eat clean. Um, and for the past three or four weeks, I've ate, uh, trying to detox my body, I've ate a pretty clean diet. 
And last week I decided to, um, you know, it was in, and I was going to go back and eat some regular American food for a day. I, I call it my cheat day, and I really did. I ate a couple of things um, that were sugar-filled and, and processed and that black people traditionally eat. Um, and I enjoyed that all day long, and I went to bed at 3 o'clock in the morning. My body totally rejected all that food, and I upchucked every bit of it. I spent a nice little 40 minutes in a vomit session, getting it all out of my system. Um, it, my body totally rejected that food. Wow. After eating clean for a consistent amount of time, my body was like, uh-uh, no, it ain't happening, and it came up out of me. The toxic level, toxic level of things that we eat on a daily basis uh, would scare you if you knew the facts. Uh, and uh, and hopefully folks around and into a healthier and uh, a, a better way of eating, and that's at the crux of any fitness program. You can um, spend all day in the gym, uh, but if you don't eat right, you aren't going to see the results. I tell my clients that uh, working out at the gym is pretty much 40% of it. The other 60% is what you put in your body. Uh, it's critical, particularly if you're trying to lose weight. Uh, it's critical how you eat and, and what you eat and how you time it. Um, you know, the gym is fine. You want to shape your body and you want to feel good. The gym is a place to be, uh, uh, whatever it is, however you, you want to get fit outside the beach, wherever. But uh, nutrition it really is the key. Um, I've got an antidote about that, and it was not exactly an antidote. It's true. There were some study done, studies done of people who are, were habitual soda pop drinkers. Um, hmm. They took those people off of soda pop for a nine-month period, and without stepping into a gym, every one of those people in that study lost 15 pounds or more. Without doing any exercise, they simply took pop, off of their menu, didn't drink any at all, and immediately dropped 15 pounds or more. Uh, and so the pop is just an example of the uh, over-reliance on sugary products. Um, and, and in the fitness industry and in the nutrition industry, uh, after a lot of study and, and consternation, uh, sugar has pretty much been labeled as public enemy number one. Uh, in the 80s mm-hmm. and the 90s, we, we were concentrating on fat and reducing fat and everything, that's not necessarily a bad thing, particularly if you're an active person. Uh, Fat isn't as bad as we initially thought, Uh, but the up-to-date data indicates uh, that sugar um, is the the prime culprit at the heart of of a lot of our health issues, diabetes, obesity, uh, and high blood pressure. And our reliance on fast food uh, contributes mightily to that issue, um, fast food giants in this country are extremely intelligent. They know that sugar is addictive. They're in business to make profits and it gets you to coming back and to eat more. And it would amaze you uh, behind the scenes if you knew how much uh, of our food is laced with sugar and fat in order to entice you to keep coming back and to satiate you and to make you want to eat more the more you eat the more profits they have. They aren't necessarily concerned with your health. They want you to be uh, fat and happy and come back again. Uh, everything from the bread that are served at places like McDonald's are, are laced with uh, a little fructose 
to help you come back. Uh, again, the addictive nature of sugar is well documented, and um, the food industry in this country um, has some highly qualified and highly trained chemists uh, on board, and they know what to put in the food to keep you to want to keep eating that food. And sugar is one of the main culprits. Interesting. So, yeah, so I, I, uh, I mean, this is my life's work right now. I, I'm trying to make it a full-time profession. I'm passionate about it. And um, I just want to I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to spread the word about this. And oh, I'm, then, uh, our project is, is already started at a couple CHA um, outlets in Chicago, and we're doing it for free right now. Uh, as I stated earlier, we should be getting a grant any day now, and we'll be able to go in and overdrive and take this to the masses. If anybody wants to be a part of uh, the program, what what do they need to do at this point? Contact me on Facebook. Uh, right now, uh, the uh, major participants in the project are seniors that live in CHA housing, um, We've uh, got a small grant that's enabling us to take it to different seniors' uh, retirement homes uh, across the south side and, and present it to them at no cost. Things like uh, blood pressure screening, uh, diabetes screening, uh, prostate cancer screening, and uh, a few fitness tips that are senior-friendly. Um, and um, in the next three or four weeks, uh most of the grants for the uh, fiscal year 2016 and 2017 are going to be awarded. They're generally awarded by August 1st, so we'll know something real soon. And I'll have more information. Uh, you know, hopefully you and I will talk before August 1st, and I'll have yeah. a, a complete information before the 1st of August. Now, you, you said something uh, really I was going to ask you about it, but you pretty much answered it in, in, as you were speaking because I was going to say, man, you know, I work out uh, lately. I've been kind of getting four four days a week. Uh, last couple of weeks, five. Man, it seems like the abdomen is the hardest doggone thing to get down, brother. I mean, you know, I feel great and uh, I feel better than ever. But I tell you, but you answered it when you said that if you don't uh, control and maintain your eating habits, you won't see the the results. And I said, well, hell, I haven't been uh, doing what I should be doing eat eating wise. I've been kind of getting my chocolate chip cookies and, you know, I've been, I don't hit a couple of quarter pounders and uh, I haven't behaved myself, uh, but I figured that if I work out, then it would balance itself out. But I guess, uh, as you just said earlier, that's not the case. Yeah. It, it's an extremely difficult balancing act, Keith, uh, particularly when uh, you're new to it. Uh, you've really got to uh, uh, watch what you eat to get to a certain point. You know, once you do get as fit as you want to, you can loosen up on your diet uh, once in a while. And um, I think I had mentioned to you earlier that there's a protocol and a methodology uh, uh, to eating right and not denying yourself some of the things that you enjoy because that's not a realistic way to live the rest of your life. One of the reasons that diets don't work is because you can't live your entire life on a diet. So I, I try to employ, and I don't know, I'm not this strict with it all the time. I'm not going to lie as much as I possibly can. I live by the 80-20 rule. 80% of the time I eat clean, and 20% of the time I eat whatever I want, 
what you do is when you go on a diet is you set up set yourself up for cravings. Um, and those cravings are, are, are mental uh, and chemical, and they're overwhelming. Uh, and if you don't relieve those, satiate those, at some point, it's going to start being an issue. So every once in a while on your cheat day, go get you some coconut cream pie or some dark chocolate or whatever it is, as long as you're consistent. The rest of the time, uh, with your workouts and with your nutrition, everybody deserves a treat day 20% of the time. And, um, but, and you know, to, to address your issue uh, a little more succinctly, uh, when you're trying to get rid of your middle, uh, some particular things, and you and I are going to discuss that off air. I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to do. But uh, at the top of that list is going to be what you eat. you got to go 60% protein, uh, off, off 50% protein, and 30% carbs and about 20% fat. You, you've got to break that ratio down, and um, it's difficult. It's the most difficult area of your body to lose is that middle. But it's real critical to lose it, and, I, and I'll tell you why it's real critical. Uh, again, I'm a big study guy, and um, I try to back up some of the things I say, say with documented studies. Um, the waist circumference of 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 uh, both sexes is a good indicator of whether you're going to have heart disease or not. So the worst place uh, to hold weight is in your middle. For men, uh, a waist size, anything over 40 is going to be an issue. For women, anything over 34 or 35 is an indicator that down the line you may have possible heart disease. The reason why is when your your, your waistline is that big, uh, there's a buildup of bad fats in your body when you get that big. And those bad fats lead to blockage, high blood pressure, i.e. ultimately a heart attack. Uh, the slimmer your waistline, the least likelihood you are to suffer a heart attack. So it's kind of critical to get that middle down. Um, and, and again, it's it's not an easy job, uh, particularly if you've been sedentary for most of your life. It's extremely difficult, uh, and I empathize with people that are in that situation. But w- what you need to do is wrap your mind around that this is a lifestyle, and this is how I want to live. I'm not just going on a diet. Uh, I need to change my lifestyle and, and live a particular way. And uh, it's it's not as strict and regimented as it sounds, and as you become better at it, you can get more relaxed with it. Uh, um, you know, as I said earlier, I've been working out pretty good since the uh, the, the turn of the century, since about 2003, 2004, about nine or ten years now, uh, even a little bit longer, and I give myself a break. Uh, I work out hard nine. 10 months out of the year and a couple of months, you know, I relax because I'm committed to doing this all the time and I know I'm always going to go back. And, and again, you have to live also. And I emphasize that to my clients that, you know, a lot of people are so scared, well, I'm never going to be able to eat apple pie or chocolate ever again. It doesn't have to be like that. In fact, those are things that you, you're free to enjoy if you're fit and it won't harm you as much. Again, we'll go back to that 80-20 thing. 80% of the time, you got to do the right thing. And 20% of the time, you take your butt on down to Garrett's and get you some popcorn. 
you know. So it's a it's it's a, a methodology to it, and that's the uh, the good thing about having a fitness professional with you and working with a good trainer, uh, even if you can't afford it. Uh, there's some short term solutions to that issue. They can let you know about these things, and a good trainer will tell you everything that I've just told you. A good trainer will tell you those things and help keep you on your path. Uh, the people I work with are, are really faithful people, and even after I'm done working with them, they call me and, and ask us things to do, and, and when they hit plateaus, what they should do. And um, I stay in touch with all of them. In fact, a good trainer should only stay with you for about three months, uh, three to five months. And if he's good and not really interested in just getting money from you, he's going to show you what to do on your own. And that's my deal. I talk to my people. I don't want to be with you six months top is as long as I want to be with you. And after that, I want you to be armed with enough information to go out there and be a fit person yourself. I think a lot of people probably uh, say to themselves, well, I don't need a trainer. I can do this on my own. But I can tell you, I've been doing it on my own. And I tell you, it it would be a hell of a lot more uh, beneficial if I did have a personal trainer. It's, it, there's a major difference when you have somebody who really, really knows what they're doing to be working with you. It, it's like that with any profession. Uh, if you deal with a professional, uh, of course, they, they're going to have some intimate knowledge that will help you get from point A to point B a little bit better. And particularly in this fitness thing, you can expedite that whole process that for 90 days you invest in a trainer, uh, you'll find out that in the long run, you'll come out a little cheaper. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you, you uh, just reading on your post, you, you, you're not a fan of those, these like detoxification pills. You, you're saying that uh, there's just natural ways to do it without kind of going that route. Can you kind of go into that a little yeah. bit? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not going to be critical of those uh, detoxes because uh, mm-hmm. a lot of them do work. Uh, okay. and, and they are helpful. However, uh, they're not necessary. Um, I found through trial and error, uh, been doing this for a long time and took some advice from some people that I really respect in this business. Um, the best and the most natural tea detox is the one that human beings have been doing, uh, since the Egyptian times. Um, Essentially, um, your body is two-thirds water. And if you fill your body up with pure water, uh, some good alkaline water, uh, that's going to clean your system out, combined with some good old-fashioned sweat. Um, In a sauna, doing some exercise, and you would be amazed how many toxins get removed from your body simply by sweating. Um, now, I will add that the acidic nature of some of the detoxes that are on the market do assist that process, uh, you know, uh, the acid from vitamin C, from citrus fruits, do assist you in the detox process. But if you don't want to go that route, good old-fashioned H2O, some sweat and exercise will cleanse your body out. Um your liver and your kidneys uh, and your colon do an excellent job of cleaning themselves out. Uh, people try to get colon cleanses and 
and things like that to clean themselves out. Uh, just a little mist behind those colon cleansers. As a matter of fact, there's some danger associated with them because you can irritate your colon with them. The colon is a remarkable, remarkable piece of machinery uh, that in conjunction with your liver, they do a pretty good job of cleaning themselves out all by themselves. All you need to do is assist it with some water. Uh, water has been the lifeline of human civilization from day one. There's only one thing, well, two things we can't do without it's air and water. Can't live without water. There's a reason. Uh, uh, like I said earlier, two-thirds of our body are made for water. So it stands to reason that if you add good, clean water to that, um, there's going to be a flushing process. So I would advise to anybody that wants to uh, to clean themselves out is to fast every nine weeks, drink plenty of water all the time, and sweat as, you must, as much as you can. Uh, one way you can test that out is that on the day that you fast, drink as much water as you possibly can and exercise and sweat, and then watch your waste that comes out of your body. In a perfect world, when your waist is clean and your system is functioning, your stool is the color of sand and the nitrogenous waste that that comes out is the color of light apple juice. That's a good indicator that your system is clean. There are a lot of natural things that you can do to, to check on yourself to make sure you're all right and what you're eliminating from your body is a good indicator uh, of the status of your health. Uh, if you've got dark urine or it's pink or it's a different kind of color or if your solid waste that comes out um, is darker or too light, uh, there's some issues in your body. Uh, so, again, your solid waste should be sand-colored, and your nitrogenous waste, is what they call the other, should be uh, the color of light apple juice. If you've got mm. those two colors consistently coming out your body, you can be pretty sure that you're functioning okay. So you can save a lot of money by, by doing a simple natural detox that the Egyptians did uh, eons ago. Mm. Mm-hmm. I saw. I read another post of yours, and it had. This was just today, not too long ago, and it was interesting. You you mentioned uh, Vince Carter, Tom Brady, uh, Jeremy uh, Yeager, and uh, I forget the other gentleman. As far as uh, not letting age be a deterrent, and and the fact that these days the, the the situations are so different that it's just not like it used to be. We you can go a lot further on uh, at a, at, a, at an older age, and you mentioned the longevity workout, and so I wanted to kind of go yeah. into. Those. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. I'll speak on that. But anybody that wants some information about the longevity workout, it's in this month's issue of Men's Fitness Magazine. Um, and the crux of it is, is just fitness and training techniques have gone so far uh, by threefold since the days of, of Larry Bird and Michael, and and, and since the seventies, it's it's really a whole new ball game. About seventies, there was a time when physical skills declined precipitously at 30 years old. Um, if you were a ball player and you were 30, you, you see you're an old man. Um, and look around you now at the major sports. Those guys that you just mentioned are functioning at a real high level into their late 30s 
and all his 40s. Tom Brady is 38 years old, and he threw 4,000 yards last year. Vince Carter, although he's not the player that he used to be, uh, he still can jump over and dunk on guys that are young enough to be his son. And uh, if you just uh, flash back a few years ago, players like Dr. J and Michael Jordan, when they hit 34 years old, you could see the difference in their fast-twitch fibers. That's the fast-twitch fibers are the fibers in your body that control explosiveness and the ability to jump and tower. The new fitness program have been able to elongate the effectiveness of, of those fast-twitch fibers. Now, I digress a little bit. Jordan and Dr. J, when they got to their early and mid-30s, that fantastic jumping ability that both of them had as young men, started to decline quickly. And the difference in training techniques now and 20 and 30 years ago, that decline isn't as noticeable. Training techniques are in place to keep those fast twitch fibers and that explosiveness uh, for a far longer period of time. Um, I use Yamir Yager, uh, a 44-year-old hockey player, who uh, finished in the top 10 of scoring this year in the NHL, at 44 years old, and uh, he's a beast. Um, you know, uh, no disrespect to the old schoolers, I'm one of them, uh, but it's yes. a whole different ball game in uh, the ability for athletes to perform, and it's tied to a lot of uh, training techniques that weren't available to the guys in the old school. And another thing is, is uh, professional athletes now, it's 12 year, twelve months a year job, and uh, there really is no off-season. So they're really dedicated to fitness and to training. And, and I say all this to say that even if you aren't a professional athlete, uh, these techniques that are in place now can help with the physical decline that everybody thinks is inevitable. Oh, I'm getting old. I'm in my 50s now. I'm supposed to be fat and bent over. No, you're not. Uh, um, the human race uh, was spawned from hunter-gatherers. The people where our genetic code comes from got up every day. The men went out and hunted every day and moved around in order for the tribe to eat. And while they were hunting lions and tigers and bears, the women were out with children gathering nuts, moving around. We were nomadic people. As soon as all the nuts and the berries in one area uh, were expired, we moved around to other places, to other caves. But they were constantly moving. They were constantly hunting and gathering. That was the, the, the social norm. Uh, there were no parties. Uh, there were no clubs. They basically hunted and gathered all day in order to survive. Our genetic code comes from those people. I hear so many people say, oh, well, I'm not supposed to be like this, and, and this is natural. Our bodies are made to be naturally lean and muscular. Uh, the lifestyles in the 20th century changed all that. You look back, you look back in the cowboy days and, and, and back uh, during the revolutionary times, there were very few overweight people because we were uh, our we hadn't become an industrial society yet. We were an agricultural society, and people mm -hmm. got up and moved and worked every day in order to survive. And, again, our genetic codes come from those people. And I say that to say that 
that's what we're meant to be like. We aren't meant to be a rotund and obese. Back in those days, the only heavy people that were uh, on the face of the earth were royalty because they didn't have to do any work. Uh, so there was always an association with being rich and fat. And uh, sometimes I think in a, even in our modern society, people associate that, but it's a negative association because, again, the only reason royals were, were happy is because um, the common people did all the work. The royals did nothing. And um, mm-hmm. it's just it's just not natural for our bodies to be like that. I'm big boned. There's no such thing as big boned. Uh, heaviness mm-hmm. runs in my family. Not necessarily. Uh, generally, that's bad eating and, and bad cooking that runs in your family. And, you know, gr- bless Grandma's heart, but Grandma didn't know a lot about nutrition. She was concerned with feeding people. And I understand that. I empathize with it that uh, I come from one of those families. Uh, however, things have changed. And, and, and lifestyles have changed because of technology. We don't move around as much as, as as previous generations, and things are right at our hand. So you have to make a conscious effort uh, to put your body in the state of a hunter-gatherer. Yeah, you, you've got to, to think about this and to plan about it. And, again, it's not easy. I'm not preaching from a soapbox, and I'm not no, trying not. to talk down. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to talk down on anybody. Yeah, I understand how difficult this is, and that's why it, it's good to uh, get as much information as you possibly can. You don't always have to talk to a personal trainer. In the age of the Internet, there's so much information on the Internet where uh, you can gather for yourself, educate yourself. And my emphasis and my point is is how important it is to do that. And my, my personal story uh is one of uh, somebody's life who got turned around by doing it. I just feel more vital, more energetic, and better now than I did 17 years ago. Uh, In the post that I put on Facebook today, I I posted uh, when I was playing college football at a major college, I could barely lift 150 pounds. At 59 years old, that's what I warm up with right now. Um, So I'm stronger than I've ever been. not quite as quick as it used to be, <laughs> but uh, I'm definitely stronger than I've ever been, and it feels good, and it's, it's a functional strength, and it's not about looking good on the beach or anything like that. It just helps you with small things. You don't have yes. a car, and you got to carry groceries. It makes it yep. easier to carry yep. groceries. you got a grandson. You can go play ball with him and bounce him up in the air. It just makes all of those things easier. And uh, for women and for men, it it makes you slice through life a little easier when you're fit. Well, I mean, even 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 turning turning off on one side to another side in the bed, it changes that. I I can vouch for a whole lot of those those little things. Uh, Even when you sneeze, you know, you you don't you don't feel that ache in your side now. I mean, a whole lot of little things. But I'm I'm glad you mentioned because it's not difficult, but but it can be done. And see, what I'm really hoping to do, this is why I really like having you on when we talk about this, is because the hardest, the hardest step is that first step, that first workout. And, and once you get started, if, if you can just get in and get started, then it, gets, it starts feeling, I used to dread going to the gym. Now I can't wait to get there. So it, it, yeah. if, if they just give themselves time and don't just not go and just say, well, I can't. Do it. Well, yes, you can. 
but but you, like you said, you got to believe in yourself, and you got to. It takes a sacrifice, but you got to stick with it. Yeah, you have to be patient with yourself and understanding with yourself. This is where that self-talk comes in. Nobody expects you to uh, to go and be a Hollywood type person overnight, and and you got to give yourself a self-talk and give yourself a chance, and and not give up. Because uh, trust and believe the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is, is well worth it. And it's just that the pot of gold is just living a, a quality life. Again, this isn't a guarantee that it's going to uh, elongate your life. Nobody's saying that. Uh, it's not right, going to make right. you live to 99 or anything. But what's important is the quality of life. It just makes everything so much easier from painting a tire on a lonely road to throwing a little junior up in the air when you want to. It just makes everything a little easier. And isn't that what life about is about, is, is having the highest quality of life that you possibly can? That's the way it's supposed to be. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Brother Kevin, you got, you got a few more minutes? Yes, I do. Okay, we have a, a caller. Uh, we, we want to take a quick call. And, and, and I def, before we go, I definitely want to ask you uh, about Ali. But we want to so, take a call. And uh, this is Brother, I tell you, Brother Kyle Sanderson. Brother Kyle, how you doing, man? Oh, man, I'm good, man. You know, I'm King, Kevin, my pleasure, brother. It's good to hear you guys, man. Same here, my brother. Yeah, I missed half of the show because I'm down in my basement. I got a treadmill, I got a bike, stationary bike, and I got a universal weight machine. I can do everything right here. And and like you said, man, it's about it's about being disciplined. You have to be disciplined enough, you know, to want to do this. I, you know, that's what my brothers know. We come from a big bonded family, and you know, they look at me and they say, "Man, you so fit." Hey, man, I just try to get it in, man, because I feel better when I work out. I feel much better, even though we all, as we get older, we got some little aches and pains. But right, I, right. If I'm not working out, man, every other day or every day, man, I I feel bad, and my body will let me know. So when I, I go and work out, yeah. I go about an hour. Like you said, Keith, it's rushing to work out now. I'm rushing. I used to hate it, but now I'm I'm loving it. I'm glad that I'm working out now because it's yes. everything is is better, man. You know, uh, the sex is definitely uh, good. You know, when you work out and take care of yourself, <laughs> that's no problem. I don't, hey, I don't, let me, I don't let me touch on it. Hey, Carl, I'm not going to do it because I haven't I haven't used Viagra yet. I'm not there. I want to touch you on know, that right quick. quick. There's a there's that a reason that that happens. <laughs> but I hear people talk on that, but I'm not there. I'm not on Viagra. And and I love it. Um, the lifestyle. Hey, man, I, I like what you was saying about our codes, you know, our bodies. We're, we are different. Like in the 60s, I noticed I was looking at a whole group of uh, of the Black Panther Party, all those members, man. I didn't see not one fat person in that out of about two or 300. I didn't see nobody fat. Everybody was exactly. nice and and built and just smooth. It wasn't none of that, man. I don't know what it, hey, what sir. happened for the last forty something, fifty years, man. But all this stuff, like we, you know, come from a big bone of family, and all this overweight stuff, man, it's crazy. I see it as I see it, in, I see it mostly in in women 
than guys, you know, and it's just, you know, and I'm glad that I'm glad that uh, the first lady Michelle came out with a physical fitness program for kids, but we need more of that, you know. We need to really push that, man, because you know, we really, really, really push it. Yeah. the we country push is stopped, man. But uh, hey, man, it's good to hear you guys, and I'm glad I was able to catch you guys on this thing, man. Can I say something about uh, Ali? And yeah, yeah. With, go, go ahead. Uh, yeah, go ahead and uh, elaborate on that. Then I'm, I'm gonna go go to Kevin on that same subject. But yeah, go ahead. Please do. I can go ahead. I can. I let you. I can elaborate after you finish. With you. No, no, no. Yeah. Carl, you go ahead. I was gonna ask you first. Uh, your your yeah, thoughts just, on uh, the the legend of okay, Ali. Yeah. I I really outside of Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali. He was another guy that I really looked up to, man, because this guy was a trendsetter. He did something that did nobody uh, was nobody able to do, man. He he stood up and and said that, look, a Vietnamese these people never did anything to me. You know I'm getting treated worse here in America, you know than I'm yeah. getting treated, you know. So I'm not why well, I'm not going to war. I'm not I'm not. You can't draft me here. Take me to jail. I'd rather go to jail than do five years because at the time that's what they was offering, five years. And you know, hey man. That woke American up, man. I woke the people up. The people looked up to this guy. This guy was an yeah. icon. He was a cultural icon, and and not only here but abroad in Africa, Saudi Arabia, you know, whatever this man went to, whatever place he went to, this man was recognized and he was beloved by so many people, man. This is unbelievable, man. This cat was was really somebody special, man. I really. I really love that man, and and this is just a tribute. I wish I could be there the, uh, this Friday in um, Kentucky, you know. But hey, man, to have given up to have given up his title to have given up his title for three and a half years says a whole lot. Who 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 is going to do that in their profession uh, when he could have easily just gone over there and did some uh, boxing exhibitions? Uh, he wouldn't have been had any any war. It would have been a real easy life for him. And he chose to give up his title three and a half years, unprecedented. Oh yeah, not his title. Go ahead, brother. He stood on principle. Uh, he taught us to stand on principle, uh, and, and some things are bigger than than us. And, and I think that's one of the things that I got from Ali, and and our entire generation got from Ali. That, that sometimes standing on principle and what you believe in is bigger than what you ever uh, uh, can think, and 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 being a man about it. Uh, it's great manhood training. Just seeing him standing up uh, uh, against an entire country, uh, and and like Carl, Malcolm, and, and Ali are, are the only two men that I, I realistically call role models. And I don't think it's any coincidence. The young men our age uh, consistently say that Malcolm and Ali are, are their role models, and they're two men that stood up tall and stood up hard against some insurmountable odds. And that's something that we got to pass on because you don't see those tall, strong, dark men uh, everywhere anymore. Um, those role models were there for us, automatically there. And I grew up with those impressions in my mind. And when stuff gets hard, you know, I think about Malcolm, and, and I, I think about Ali, and, you know, boy, it ain't too hard for you. Think about the things that they went through in order to come from point A to point B. You're an illiterate temp, 
in one decade, in the next decade, you're walking with kings. Um, yeah. You're a boxer. Yeah. You're a boxer and an entertainer. And in five or six years, you're the most famous man in the world. Kings know your name. Peasants know your name. And it's a, it's a, a good example of how hope and perseverance and just being a man uh, in this world will help you stand up and weather through some tough, tough things. And both of them brothers, both of them brothers uh, drive me on a daily basis. Brother and, Kevin, uh, share, share, share that story with us about that you were writing about, about when you met him as a kid and, and the impact that that had on you. Uh, well, I lived, on, I lived on 81st and Jeffrey. And, and Ali's first house in Chicago with Sonya Clay was on 85th and Jeffrey. So um, he was kind of a semi-regular person coming down Jeffrey in his Cadillac, and he would wave and stuff. But this particular day, it was uh, seven or eight of us on the corner of 81st and Jeffrey, and it was the summer of 1970, and we were, as usual, arguing about the Cubs and the Sox. That's what we did back in those days. <laughs> and uh, we heard of Vespa coming down the street, and, um, you know, normally you see regular-sized people on the Vespa and everything, but on this Vespa was an extremely large man. And once he got into the middle of 81st, it was no mistake who this large man was. It was six foot three, 220-pound Muhammad Ali coming down Jeffrey on a Vespa. And, of course, as was his way, he saw a group of kids on the corner. We didn't flag him down. We didn't holler at him. He just stopped. You know, and what y'all doing? And he laughed and joked and, and did a magic trick or two for us. That's one of the little-known things about him. He was good at little magic tricks. And um, as he was leaving, uh, he asked some of us, can any of y'all box? And, you know, I was a little aggressive gunny back then, and I, I jumped up and said, yeah, yeah, I can box. So I put my dukes up, and before I got my dukes set, Ali had fixed my nose and hit me in my stomach before my fist got closed. And it startled me. It amazed me. I had never seen anything that quick in my life. And he laughed at me and winked at me and rubbed my head and uh, asked everybody. He told us to stay in school. And he, before I, he left, he asked everybody, who's greatest? And you know our answer was, you are, champ. Uh, and he smiled, hopped on his vest and kept going down Jeffrey. And uh, wow. there were eight or nine of us. This happened 40-something years ago, and we still talk about it today. Wow. <laughs> Brother Carl, did you, ever get a chance, did you ever get a chance to meet him or see him in person? Uh, no, uh, no, I didn't see him in person, but I seen him in the car. You know, but, but you know, I got a buddy named Greg Sand. You guys know Greg, Gregory Sand? Yes, sir. He, yeah, Greg said he went to DeSalvo with me. He was a, he was a year under us. He came out of DeSalvo in 1976, Greg Sand did. He's from 48, 48, 48, 44th State. That's the building that he's from in Robert Taylor. And so, you know, he was, Greg Sand, he was a, he was a, he was a Muslim with Farrakhan for a while. You know, now he's on his own, doing his own thing. And he had an encounter with Ali. Ali slapped him in the back of the head <laughs> with a, with an open fist, like you know. And he said that man that hurt. He said that he wanted to just come out and say, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, man, uh-uh, come on." He was 
he was so mad at Allie for doing that. But he said if he had a, a sneak to it. He just said that's one of the hardest slips that he ever. And Allie just barely touched him out. But that goes wow. to the professionalism, man, from a 6'3", 220-pound guy that was in great shape. And this was like, this happened maybe, this happened like in the, in the evening. You know, well, I'll, okay. say, I'll say this. Hey, man, did you see, my buddy, Lawrence Jefferson, he's our age. He went to uh, grammar school with me at Terrell. And I got a, it's a picture on Facebook when Ali took strolling the city in 1967. We were we 10 years old then. He was on 63rd in Cottage, right around 63rd in Maryland. Have you seen that picture? I've seen that picture by the air tracks, yeah. Exactly, exactly. My buddy Lawrence Jefferson, he's our age. He graduated from Utah on 74. He lives in San Diego now. He he pulled it up and he and he sent it, and so I shared it. Yeah, I gotta man, check that out. Picture, man. I gotta check it out. Yeah, I'll so, say this: the only the only time I, I saw I never met him in person, but the only time I saw him in in the flesh was at remember they used to have for uh, the Push Expo uh, uh, back in the days, uh, Push Expo '75, '74, Jackson Five, Temptations, all the big. It was almost like yeah. the Essence Fest, the Essence Fest back right. in the day. And uh, Jesse Jackson was on stage, and he 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 brought Ali out, man, and I tell you. So it was a jam-packed amphitheater crowd, and everybody stood up and just went crazy, man. I'll, I'll never forget that. And just to see him in person, from and I was in the balcony, man. I'm, I'm looking down, and he's in there in, in this building with us, man. It was, it was a beautiful, uh, beautiful scene, man. It was a beautiful scene. Uh, but oh, yeah. I, I think he was uh, he, he was a great fighter. I, I I don't know that as far as the greatest ever in the in the ring, but he was unprecedentedly the greatest outside of the ring and everything he stood for, everything he did, uh, which to me is even more important. So I take my hat off to him, man, because there is no athlete uh, up to date who, who dare do anything close to what he did yesterday. He was a man's man. What's so, right? Brother Carl, uh, hey, thanks for calling in, Brother Carl. I appreciate it, man. Oh, yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks, Kevin. Hey, I'm going to talk, talk to you soon, bro. Okay, then. We'll get the we'll keep in touch. All right, keep now. Me keep me posted on the 76 uh, uh, reunion. Oh, yeah, we'll do. We'll do. Not, not, no doubt about it. We'll talk to you, brother. Okay. Peace. All right. Peace. All right, brother Kevin. I, I, want, I definitely wanted to get in that uh, story that uh, you wrote. It was a, it was a t- touching story. You know, I, I, I remember uh, in Rosenblum Park, and, and what it reminded me when you mentioned the story about Meet and Ali, I remember in Rosenblum Park, it probably, I think it was about 1970 also. Uh, I live on 74th and Yates, and a friend of mine came okay. down saying Ernie Banks was up at Rosenblum, and I was a diehard cub, man, and I couldn't believe it. Ernie Banks at Rosenblum, man, I ran up there, and he was there, and I just would—I couldn't believe it. It was—it was—I I just couldn't believe him. I was—I was so glad to see him. I didn't—I couldn't even say anything. You know, Keith, I've been so blessed in my life. Uh, it's ironic that you—you—you you, you mentioned Ernie Banks. Uh, I played at the Chatham Little League uh, on a baseball team that, that featured uh, a couple of youngsters named Joey and Jerry Banks. So yeah, I had, uh, yeah, I had an opportunity to see Ernie uh, right at 83rd at Ellis uh, at the Chatham YMCA. He regularly 
uh, came to see Joey and Jerry play. So I uh, had an opportunity to rub elbows with him um, and, and people like Gail Sayers and, and people like Muhammad Ali. I, I'm just so blessed with the role models. I, my father died at a very young age. My mother made sure that there were men around me. And, uh, you know, just by the grace of God, I was able to bump heads with some of these famous people that we're talking about that, that set a precedent for me on how to be and, and how to act. I was so fortunate, uh, so much more fortunate than some of these young people today. And uh, and that will segue me into uh, the last thing that I wanted to talk about today. You know, as, as a supplement to my fitness business, I work as a security guard. And right now I'm on Augusta and Hamlet in one of the hot spots of Chicago. And uh, been there for a long time, and I've gotten to know some of the young men there. And I'm right at the apex where two, three gangs come together. And I've forced a relationship with some of these kids and uh, been able to talk to them. Uh, I mean, I, I guess maybe they respect my parents and the fact that, that I'm one of them. And, and I try to encourage them. And there's a couple guys that are BDs and GDs that I've managed to uh, do some investigation about getting into Malcolm X College. And I found out that a lot of them don't want to live this lifestyle. They simply don't know how to get out of it. Exactly. And uh, I try to go about the business of showing them uh, the way. And I think, and this is just my personal opinion, that one of the issues in our community is that lack of leadership and the lack of male role models to show these young men how to take this. It's, it's, it's not enough to say you need to go the other way and you need to do something else. You have to show them that. And I always quote W.E.B. Du Bois uh, about the talented Tim. And during his time, 10% of black people were allowed to be educated. Right now it's up to about 21 22%. But there's a disconnect in our community between that talent and talent, those educated people with the wherewithal to uh, move out of the ghetto and to see the world. There's a disconnect between them and the people on the lower socioeconomic rung of the ladder. And one of the major differences between then and now, we were talking about Ernie Banks and, and Gail says and all those people, when we grew up, that disconnect wasn't there. We were able to bump heads with successful, yeah. uh, intelligent, motivating people on a daily basis. You just go to Jackson Park Highlands. Hell, you just, in 1979, if you got on the 79th Street bus, you'd like to see a public defender or a nurse, a, a beautiful mm-hmm. woman in a skirt going to be a clerk. These kids now don't have those role models on a daily basis. And I think uh, one of the solutions... Uh, of our urban issues is for us to circle the wagons and start taking care of ourselves. Those people that have the wherewithal and the knowledge need to make some type of commitment, even if it's just one boy at a time. I'm only working with a couple of boys right now. Um, I can't save all the BDs and all the GPs, but I can save Lil Tay and this boy Jack. I can do that. Yeah. And, uh, and, yeah. and I think there's a responsibility of the educated class in the African-American community to dip back down and 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 help the people who don't have the information uh, and the resources to move forward. I've worked as a social worker for a long time, and one of the things that I've seen is that light bulb goes over a kid's head 
you take them out of Inglewood and take them up to Old Town or to Lincoln Park or take them to the Chinese American Museum or to Wrigley Field for the first time, and they look around and they say, damn, that's a different life. It's it a whole world out here. This world. It yeah, don't have to be like this. And, and you take King Tears if you've got two of them to pay attention to that. Uh, ultimately, they're going to grow up and maybe take that step up out of that environment. And I guess I'm saying all this to say that us people who were fortunate enough to get educations and, and to travel, I've, I've been to 42 of the 50 states and three or four foreign countries, bring that knowledge back, my brother, and, uh, uh, and show these kids this is a different way and there are options out here. Um, and, and and we've got to do that. There's other communities that are successful essentially do the same thing. The reason that you see the same people in Dunkin' Donuts and 7-Eleven is because they make that first 7-Eleven a success, then they reach back to their cousins and bring them to the 7-Eleven, and then mm-hmm. when they get successful, they bring the other cousin in. Mm-hmm. Black folks mm-hmm. don't do that. We mm-hmm. need to do that. And, and uh, you know what? Again, go ahead. No, I was going to say, one. I think the important thing that, that you have not said is having anything to do with looking outside of ourselves to do anything for us. Everything you said so far is what, what we need to do from within. And that's and, and that's where you talk about the lack of black leadership because uh you know, the black leadership, the churches, the ministers, the preachers, it's gonna take the everyday people like yourself, man. The everyday average black man and black woman to get the same done. That's right. That's right. We don't. We got to stop looking for out, out of our community for help uh, and for handouts and for assistance and the place and blame. Okay, we're in this situation. Things are bad for us, and we know ultimately it's about racism. But so damn what? Let's beat it, and we can beat it. And and we got to develop a methodology. In the early part of this century, there were some really successful black people, like in Lawton, Oklahoma, and the Du Bois and the Lincoln Hughes of our community who, who beat some odds that are tougher than the ones that we're facing now. And it was about community with black folks. And that lack of community uh, is really hurting us right now. And I just, you know, any of, any of my middle class brothers and my educated brothers that might be listening right now, uh, I encourage you, you know, find a way to reach back. And take that knowledge that you've gained at, at U of I or Notre Dame or wherever you went uh, overseas and bring it back and pass that on to some of these young black men uh, that are doing these shootings that don't know any better. And you might wow. see a difference in them. Man, we, we well, we got a whole, oh, man, I know your time is just about up. And it's so it's so many things we didn't get to, but they'll still be going on. We, 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 uh, we, we got to have you back again, Brother Kevin. Uh, For sure. I'm, I'm due at the gym in a few minutes, but, I mean, okay. just don't stop, Chief. Uh, either next week or the next week, call a brother and see what's happening. Uh, I truly enjoy uh, being on your show. I appreciate it, Brother Kevin. We'll keep in touch. And uh, we didn't get to talk about Hillary or the roots of Snoop Dogg. We didn't get to talk about uh, Trump. But we're going to get into all that, brother. Uh, That's right. You take care, man. I appreciate you coming on the show, man. And I look forward to uh, having you on again. All right. We're going to talk real soon. Peace. Peace out, brother. All right, brother. Peace. Take care now. Yep. Yep. I'm going to uh, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep on going for a little bit. And I see I got actually got a few people uh, online listening. 
And uh, because I did want to talk about, uh, uh, tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about Hillary and Trump. And uh, I, I've had a change of heart and a change of mind. Uh, I just got to, it's got to be done. I want to talk about uh, Snoop Dogg and his uh, criticism of the roots and so forth and some other things. So uh, I'm going to take a quick break and I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back. I took a little break because I wanted to uh, check with uh, see, uh, see that Brother Carl Sanderson is still with me. He's going to uh, finish up the show with me, and uh, we'll talk about those things that I was talking about before the break. Uh, any any callers who want to get in? Uh, 718-664-9513, 718-664-9513. Uh, all you have to do is press number one, and we'll get you right in. I see we have one who has done that. Uh, but brother Carl, how you doing, man? Thanks for sticking with me, brother. Oh man, I'm good, Keith. It's always a pleasure, man, getting with you, man, and doing this here. I love this. This is this is what's up, man. Uh, you know, speaking with you and you know, getting the knowledge, man. What's just going on? I'm just doing, man. We just doing whatever little bit we can. Every little bit helps. Yeah, man, and 
And from from you know from our perspective too, man, it's you know we are you know fifty nine years old, man, and um and the wisdom and the knowledge that we've uh, acquired over the years, man, it's unbelievable, man. You know, uh, we good good citizens. I wish I knew half of what I knew now back in the days. I'd probably still be married. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh man, tell me about it. I know, man. Let's bring, let's bring, let's bring caller on. We have a caller uh, on here, last uh, four digits of 2646. Caller, are you with us? Yeah, Keith, it's Jimmy. Oh, what's up, Brother Jim? Man, I grabbed my wife's cell phone again. I won't get mine until tomorrow afternoon. Okay, so I, I didn't pick up on the number. <laughs> I didn't pick up on it. I'll be back on the money in a minute. Hey, man, all right, it dawned right. on me. It dawned on me. You know, I've been getting brothers telling me, man, that um, I need to forget about the black question in the black community and leave it alone and don't waste my time and stuff like that. And then, you know, the caller we had the other day about um, we got to get a spiritual um, um, Oh man. Um, Foundation, but think about it. Think about it. Okay, if he's dismissing the black community and he's saying that we needed a spiritual foundation to stand on, who was going to administer that spiritual foundation? The ones that ran the fuck off? Or somebody else is going to come up and take his place and deal with this downrodden, uh, worthless black youth in the black community? That's what it sounds like to me. Because once you show the con men, Okay, once they see the money rolling in to give programs to benefit those same ones they ran from and told us not to uh, um, leave them alone and count them out and, and, and it's a waste of time. and they're another, Those are the main ones going to be in their front line waiting on that check to roll in so they can come in here and administer that bullshit that they're talking about. Think about it. I, it, just, it dawned on me, man, when you were talking with um, with uh, Kevin. Yeah. Yeah, we we it, it it you know he's saying we need the spiritual uh, uh, guy, but at the same time he's saying it's hopeless. Uh, I mean, it, it's the so-called spiritual uh, persuasion uh, as it is today, who, who who had a great deal to me, in my opinion, to put us in the state that we're in in, in the first place. So uh, yeah. it's just a it's a wicked circle, man. It's a wicked circle. It's just it's a con game. It's a con game because you cannot you cannot you cannot tell me that you should give up on your black community to the point where you, the person is telling me, you're gonna go back as soon as money starts over, you're gonna go back into that same rut that you were running from and get yours and then try to administer the same stuff you can do now. If that man was with Harriet Tubman, he would be dead. At, at, the, at the same time, I can kind of understand when, when we talk about people who, who want to leave the environment, and I can understand that to, to a great extent in, in, in many cases because some people just don't have the wherewithal. Or, or, they, 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 they're looking more out for the safety of their, their own personal situation and their kids. And uh, then you have those like yourself who are willing to stay back and uh, do what they need to know to try to fix what's broken right there. So I understand. I do understand both sides. No, 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 no. This is what I'm talking about, Keith. The ones okay. that are leaving, running, coming, and then standing on the hill pointing fingers. You see what I'm saying? It's a big difference between the ones who want to get their families safe and da 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 da. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah, Me, I yeah. want to stay in the struggle and do the whole thing. Then you got some con men that will say one thing and then try to do something else once they see that money rolling in. Brother Carl, what you think, man? 
Uh, I understand. Is that Jimmy? Hey, Jimmy, how you doing, my brother? Doing pretty good, man. How are you? All right. Well, yes, you know, I sort of understand what Jimmy is talking about because, you know, where I point fingers and just say, for instance, I'm with, I'm with that I'm with that part too. Yeah, I might want to, if I'm successful, I think I might want to stay in my community, man, because my community needs me. And so that's and that's a that's a good thing, man. If I'm successful and staying in my community, I wanna I wanna be right there, man. But to point fingers, you know, is is I'm not I'm I'm not with the effect if you're not contributing nothing. If you putting fingers in your community and not contributing nothing, you know, I'm I'm like Jimmy. I don't have nothing to say, you know, to you. You know, you we we don't need you there. But I I like the idea of a guy being successful and staying in his community because that's what they do in New York and different other parts of the uh, country. Some of the blacks that's been successful, a lot of them, some of them stay in their own communities and try to help building those communities up, man. And um, you know, that's I like that part of it. Let me let me ask let me ask this question. Too. Oh, go ahead, brother Jim. Then I'll, I'll ask you. Go ahead. Then I'll ask the question. Oh, I was about to say, um, if everybody's running. Who the kids gonna look up to? There you okay. go. That's the question. Well, yeah, yeah. I think I think a lot of people are running, and they're saying, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, they'll leave what's there there, but they, they, they looking out. For, you know, it's the same thing like when you're on an airplane, and they tell you before the plane even goes off the runway, they say, look, if there's a low uh, pressure, uh, these, uh, these uh, face masks, whatever I forget what you call it, oxygen masks, are gonna fall down. Before you put one on anybody else, you make sure you put you secure yours first, and then you help somebody else out. And that's a theory that I kind of understand. That kind of theory, you know, you gotta if if you can't save yourself, how can you save somebody else? But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at the same time, uh, it, 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 it it's it's tough. It's tough, you know. It, it, and, it, and it's so it's so bad, and people people are afraid, man. People people are simply afraid. Hmm. I mean, well, I don't yeah. think I don't think I can see me being afraid of my own people. I really can't. I can't. Even well, I, I understand that. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I can't. I can't see safe. me giving up um, just because I made it and my family is safe. Um, yeah. My family is. I'm still. I'm still in. The, I'm still in the community, uh, Inglewood. I've been here. Every community that I've been in, you could say it was low income. You know, I came up on 16th and Lindale. Then we moved to Cabrini Green. Then we moved into Roseland. Now we're in Inglewood. I understand those things. I see what they, we need to do to bring us up. But if I'm, I, I, I feel like I am successful in the black community. I really am. But who's going to see me if I rub my ass way to buck, Timbuk two somewhere? Well, then that's when well, the brothers come up and say, "Well, I see um, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Drug Seller with his big cars and his, all this money. I see the, you know, they they seeing all these negative images, and then you got brothers that are causing these negative images still stand there. Those are the, those are going to be their idols. Those are going to be the ones they see. Now here I am, an artist, a business owner. If I ran, they're not going to see me. They're going to see who's left over the residue. Yeah, that's that's sad truth. I definitely feel you on that, man. That's exactly why I'm still here with the city, not just because even though I have a good job with the city of Chicago, I I still feel like, hey, this is this is where I belong. Why why should I run now? And I'm not I'm not worried about all the shooting that we've been having. 
I'm not afraid of that. I don't even think about that. I don't I don't live my life like that, man. I I live my life. I'm in the community. I'm in the hood, and I just keep going on like it's a natural thing. I love being yeah. here in this town, man. Yeah. And yeah. I I live in a ghetto per se. You know, right right outside of um Roseland, you know, I'm next door to Roseland. I'm right here. They call it uh, Washington Heights. It's, it's my community, but I'm right here in Roseland, and I'm here every day. And, you know, I love being here. I could have I could have hid out in the suburban and got me, got me a spot and just hid out there, but no. You know, I, I they want me here spending the taxpayers' money here so I make the money here, and that's why, that's why I'm at. I'm right here, man. I'm right here in the city. And I love and I love it. Even though my thing is with all the crime and everything is that, you know, hopefully we're gonna we're gonna uh overcome that. You know, that's why I'm here to uh help help with that man. We're gonna overcome that crime situation. That's how I see it. I don't I I, I can't see this to go on forever. Yeah, what kills me though, Kyle, is just these people wanna have a spiritual foundation. What if, okay. You got a spiritual foundation. It ain't done shit yet. You got 300 churches in the world. Ain't shit changed. Shit ain't even got better. So why am I coming up to the the notion that a spiritual foundation would be the catalyst for me to come out of the funk that I'm in? It ain't worked so far. That's right. Well, not any external spirit. Not any external spirit is going to work. It's got to be reversed and reaching in to an internal uh, meditating and self self uh, power of self mentality instead of some type of external mystery that's up there in the sky floating around, you know? Yeah, man. That's what's hurting us anyway. The Corey Brooks and the Meeks of the world, those are the guys that's, that's really setting us back. You know, if you look at it, that's how I, you know, on the religious side, they, they really happen, man, with, with the politics that they're playing and the games that they're playing with people's lives. It is, and it's sad that 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 um, these people can come into the black community and leave richer than the ones that are there. That just don't sit well with me. They come into the community 10, 15 years. You look up, they got the biggest house, the biggest cars, the most money. They set up a dynasty so that nobody else that they're administering their spiritual logic to can even get into the front door of their own freaking church into their own. Religious or the rich because they set up a dynasty where their sons, nieces, and nephews are going to take over when they pass on. And you mean to and tell me what, nobody is smart enough in their congregation to see this? And if they is, they're not saying anything about it. Well, oh, yeah. those, those, those with the power to say something about it, they're getting theirs. Uh, they're okay. Yeah. You know, uh, the public officials and so forth and so on. What I can't understand is why, as a people, we, in, individuals, from an individual standpoint, black people are doing some individual are better than ever. But as a people, we don't have nothing, man. At least we tell we had a whole baseball league. I mean, we don't even have a, a national hotel where we can have our own essence fest. Well, I go to New Orleans, the Superdome. We can have our own thing in Florida somewhere with our guests because we're the ones who are doing entertaining in New Orleans for the Essence Festival. We don't have a hotel, a venue, that one national spot that we can. All these organizations and fraternities and churches and 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 uh, you know, push and all that have to have their conventions and so forth. We can have one, at least one gigantic spot. Exactly. Nobody's I even talking you. about it. Nobody's yeah. even talking I, about I, it. Yeah, you're right, though. I, I feel you. We don't, 
We, don't, we just don't have it, man. We don't have a facility, but we, we a facility, but we can call. This is ours. Exactly. 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 NAACP, all them national National Action Network, and you know, uh, are we uh, who's with me? Who's still with me? I'm with you. Oh, okay. I, I I thought I saw a line drop. Okay, no problem. But yeah, I mean, we 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 need something we can call our own. That's what when they were talking about boycotting Florida with uh, Trayvon Martin. I'm saying, man, no, don't boycott Florida. Use Florida. Use right. Florida, man. You know, I mean, it's almost like they never they get together, scream, bitch, and moan, and don't have a plan. In my mind, from what I've seen, because if you look back at a lot of that scream, bitching, and moaning. And shit came out of it. Ain't no Nothing. laws been changed. Ain't no solidarity in the um, the community that they went back to. Nothing. You know, I'm still trying to get a one ward, one uh, alderman here in Inglewood. Everybody's bitching, a lot of people are bitching about that. You know, and our history tells us it's been done by people less smarter than us. I'm not going to even say less smarter than us. More, they were more ambitious, ambitious than us, ambitious. Yeah, what am I trying to say? They, they ambitious. They want something, man. They want something for themselves. They want something for. We, we, it's, it's, a, it's incredible to me with all these churches and athletes and who are. We, we don't even have a national fund. I mean, we could, we could have. You know, when you fill your taxes out, you ever see that line that says, "Would you like to contribute a dollar to the presidential campaign?" That I always say, "Hell no!" To you, you remember that line on your tax forms? I saw that. That that's something like that could be put in in there. To, see, we we I mean I'm 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 stretching out. I know, but we 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 need a, if we had a national fund where we can build just one hotel, in in a Florida and in, in a nice uh, weather place, and then you can build from there. But see, I, I don't know, man. It's it's not even in the conversation. Well, Claude, Dr. Claude Anderson is the only one, and Dr. Umar Johnson, they're the only ones who I know of who are to, who talk on that level. Mm-hmm. On an independent level, and, and and we need something for us, for for, for our people. We need a community. Mm-hmm. We don't even have a community. They say we. Claude Anderson said we don't have a community. We had neighborhoods. Neither of them took the neighbor out. Now we just got hoods. You know. <laughs> so. <laughs> and you know what? And, One of the things is 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 that um we've been trained to turn the other cheek. We wanna we wanna we want something that. Segregated and not desegregated, but we weren't ready for desegregation. We weren't. No, we integrated. You know, we integrated. Nobody, nobody integrated. Yes, integration. We weren't ready for integration, man. Okay. We weren't taught. We weren't taught to be integrated. We were just. No. We were just taught to, to, to feel good about the notion of living next door to somebody other than us. But we weren't ready. We, we weren't taught to say. Yep, you're right. We want we want we want talk to say we want talk to to be in there. We want talk to think about their mindset about us integrating into their society. No. We weren't ready for. We went in there. We we went up there with our heads in the sky, man. And the whole while we was walking with our heads in the sky, we were getting kicked in the ass every time. The day we integrated was the worst thing. Yeah. The day we integrated. The day we integrated, we disintegrated. We disintegrated oh. everything that we had. We lost. We lost yeah. everything, man. We lost. And we were happy. All the revenue we lost, man. Just think when we lost, when we lost the Negro League, the Negro Baseball League, man. We lost all the uh, concessions and all the, uh, man, all the money, 
because they all had stadiums in Birmingham and Kansas and Denmark. We had, and we lost you once, but we wanted to integrate. We wanted to integrate, and that was our worst. That was our worst problem when we integrated, man. Because back, you know, Parkerhouse sausage, they used to deliver. I was looking at some of Parkerhouse old, uh, old paperwork and stuff. There's transaction, and there was a lot of black stores that they used to deliver to and sell to, man. We lost all that, man, because we wanted to integrate. Um, yeah, with what exactly. It cost us. It's cost us over the years. It's cost us the last 40, 50 years. Ever since, uh, especially with the baseball thing, baseball business, man. You know, you know, it, brother Carl. You know, it gets me to thinking that uh, you know when when the, you know with the old AB, the old ABA that was you know pretty much dominated by black, well just like the NBA, mm-hmm. but the ABA folded, and uh, they didn't take just take their players. They had to take some of the teams. And and I always right. even as a kid I was saying why how, why don't they have like the Homestead Grays or the Pittsburgh Croppers or the New York Cubans or the Chicago Black American Giants what what you know what what well, we know the answer to it but you know in my little daydreaming state I said man it would have been nice if they could have negotiated not just taking Jackie Robinson and Satchel Page and those guys but take a couple of damn teams and merge exactly. them exactly baseball league but that's exactly. dreaming exactly. right it would have but don't. Them, them white, them white rich Jews didn't have that. But you're right though. That's what they should should have negotiated. We should have negotiated taking on at least three or three or four of those uh, black teams. Because you know what? Those teams in the summer they would play one or two of those teams would play the Yankees, and they would pick the Yankees' ass every they were year. They were would have for the life of Dave Ruth and Ty Cobb and all those other white greats. They would get their butt whooped, man, by those Negro League teams. And that was a fact. I'm not, I'm not just talking. If you go back and check out some old docu- uh, documentation on that, they just handed them some. They were playing oh, I'm aware. Year. I'm aware. I'm definitely aware. Well, I'm, go- I'm going to uh, – I'm going to go- it's 830. I'm going to sh- be shutting it down. Uh, brother Jim, did you want to have a last word? Do you want to put something else out there that you maybe didn't get a chance to get out, brother? Well, one thing that I would like for all these uh, rich rappers and rich actors and rich people in general, if you're going to give something to the community, start with the teachers. If you're going to give $40,000, $50,000 to refurbish, refurbish a couple of play, uh, playgrounds, find some out-of-work teachers and be grateful for what they've done up until the point that they lost their livelihood and get them back in the frame of mind that somebody cares. You know, our teachers are the main ones that are going to be the ones to take it. Our black teachers are going to be the main ones that move us forward. Our brown teachers, you know, and, and reinvest their money back into that. I, I'm not, I've never been a sports person. I enjoy softball to the max. I really do. So I, can, I guess I am a sports person somewhat. But reinvest in, in, in our minds instead of our backs and our, in, 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 in our sweat to the point where it blinds us. You know, because our minds need to be more developed than our muscles. That's what I got to say about that one. No doubt about it, brother Kyle. You want to make a last word? Yeah, I would. That's a good. That's a good suggestion, Jimmy. I like that. And also, I like the fact that I want to see. Um, I want to see black folks become economically independent in their own communities. That's a big one for me, man. You know, let's let's take back our community, man. We don't have to. It's not. We don't have to start no riot or nothing with uh, with the Arabs and the Indians with their with their uh, with their donut shops and their 
and their stores and gas stations. We just don't. We just need to uh, start building in our own community and then start supporting our community. That's what we need to do. Then they're then they're leave. We. That's what I want to see. I want to see us become economically independent in our own neighborhoods. You know, let's take care of our own neighborhoods, and then with that, with the starting of that, that's a whole lot of. Uh, Good teaching and everything's gonna uh, follow that, you know. Yep. So hey, man, that's why I'm in, man. Becoming economically independent in our own neighborhoods—that's what we need. We need that. It's, it, man, it sounds so good. I hope it happens. On that note, on that note, I want to thank uh, both of you, brothers. Thank you, brother Jimmy, for calling in. Brother uh, Carl for calling in. Uh, appreciate it. And uh, I'm gonna shut it down now in the name of whomever or whatever. Your spiritual power. Good night. Good night.
have been listening to We Are Everyday People Global Internet Radio Network. Peace. <laughs>